Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Blantus Podcast. I'm Oliver, your host, and today I'm quite excited because I'm bringing you uh, something that I have never done before, which is an interview. This is my first interview ever and I'm planning to do it more often from now on, so stay tuned. This first time, I had the pleasure to talk to Jerry Perkins, also known as Mastercium1001. He's an artist and uh, the guy behind the development of the Hardop's popular Blender add-on. So without further ado, I leave you here with the interview. Enjoy. I started Blender in, um, on February 1st of 2010, which I, I remember specifically because I was uh, wow. starting in a very dead-end call center at that time. So a lot of my background um, was in using Blender in this call center on really <laughs> horrible computers that um, had performance issues. So that was kind of where I got my beginnings was um, having a computer that worked against me. But um, after I started getting a better computer for home, then that's when I began to um, take it a little more seriously. But I mean, if you see my videos, like my very oldest ones, you'll notice that I was recording on a Mac and the screen was distorting and all sorts of things because of uh, very strange computer circumstances that happened. But uh, that's kind of you know where it came from. All right. And how how did you get started with three D? I mean, what what pushed you to learn three D? Because you were in this uh, call center, but that's kind of not related with three D, right? So what what pushed you to to get started? I'm I'm always a person that's always looking for the the next thing. So even when I'm working any job, I'm always looking for the next job and thinking about the next job while I'm working any job because you know any day you could end and that would be like your life being thrown into turmoil. So. Um, you know, before starting 3D, I was actually studying web design because that was going to be the next thing I was going to get into was uh, trying to make interactive web pages. But in one of the books, they mentioned that one of the ways you can import assets into a scene on a web page is using Blender compared wow. to all these other programs I never heard of, Maya Max. Blender was the free solution. And all I was trying to do was get interactive uh, paper airplanes on a web page and like text and stuff like that. And that was kind of what got me in the blender. So my first experiences was in 2.49, trying to import text as an SVG object using their, their menus. Like I remember it because I was, I, I did it and I was like, I don't think I'll ever be able to do this again. Like, I don't remember where I found those menus at. They were so <laughs> deep, you know, I was approaching it as an outsider. Yeah. Especially but, in the last you know, version in, in that, in that, uh, in, the, in those old versions, the interface had nothing to do with uh, what we have now. And I think it was much more complex for a beginner to get started. Oh, yeah. First thing you do when you open 2.49 is close it. Like, I closed it a <laughs> lot when I first got into Blender. Like, I was afraid. I like, sometimes you. I would get so many things on the screen and I just had to close. Like, this is too much. I don't think I'm ready for this. Yeah, well, for me, for me, it was kind of different because I, I already came from a background in which I had been using, was using other 3D software for a while. Um, uh, especially 3ds Max, I, I had been using it for some six years or, or so, and the first time I got into Blender, uh, my first impulse was to close it. That's uh, <laughs> exactly that. I, I saw it was free and stuff, and I got interested. But then I, I, I checked it out. I, I installed it, and I couldn't stand the interface. I didn't understand anything. It was this, this 3D cursor and stuff. And I think it took me some four or five versions, uh, checking it out and closing it until I finally decided I was going to stick with it and try to learn. I was one of those stubborn people that, you know, didn't want to move to 2.5 after getting used to 2.49. Like I was like 2.49, I finally got over this curve. I'm never leaving. Wow. I, I can't even see the interface now without 
recoiling in horror, like, oh my god, two point yeah. those days. It was horrible. But yeah. you know, one thing one thing they had was that preview window where you could draw the square and then it'll render it and then it'll composite it in that little square. Wow. Like that was probably one of the best things about two point four nine that two point five still hasn't gotten yet. And like I, I still yeah. remember that because I would always draw that little square and just uh, <laughs> render and composite right there in the viewport. Yeah, that that preview window was was very 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 nice. I I remember uh, missing it uh, the first time I used uh, the the new version Blender two point five. We are already two point seven, but still it's like the family of two point five. And um, and yeah, I, at the beginning I missed that window. It was amazing, and uh, but I was uh, kind of um, you know I I kind of was used to other software. So Blender two point forty nine. The interface wasn't quite what I uh, was looking for. And so I was one of the first ones to jump into 2.5 as soon as it was slightly usable. Um, so, so yeah, but uh, that window was uh, definitely something that I would like to see coming back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd, it'd be crazy to see it at this point in cycles. They, they almost got it. Like, we're so close to it. Like, we got a really crazy interactive window now. Yeah. But just... Just those were the those the days, I guess. <laughs> Thinking back on that version, yeah. I think that the next the next thing uh, I, I would like to hear your thoughts about this too, um, because the the next thing I think uh, I I I know you have been working a little with uh, PBR and this stuff. And um, are, are you not interested? Or I mean, for sure you're you might must be interested in seeing PBR come into the three D viewport in real time in Blender. Oh yeah, uh, like. Uh... You know, one of my favorite alternate programs in Blender is actually Maya because they have the uh, viewport 2.0, which is just amazing. I mean, they have uh, motion blur in the viewport. I mean, you just pause a frame and it's just motion blur right there in front of your face. It's crazy. Wow. They have ambient occlusion in the viewport. They have depth of field. And I mean, we're sadly getting all those things. You know, if you're thinking off the top of your head, hey, we got those features. We do. Mm -hmm. But the last thing we need is the direct X11, you know, PBR, you know, next generation viewport. Like whether they do it using OpenGL or they go into these newer solutions, you know, either way, like I'm definitely looking forward to it. Because, like I've been even playing with the PBR branch. And, um, you know, the thing is crazy. Uh, like it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, reflectivity and roughness being, um, you know, uh, depicted in the viewport because yeah. that's stuff you see in other programs. Like, uh, you know, I hate to bring in other programs into the mix, but I mean, <laughs> you compare it with Maya and, uh, you know, for example, they have uh, like the T menu. So you can take a light, press T and it'll immediately put a target empty in front of it that you can begin moving to maneuver the light and aim it. So it's definitely those type of usability things that are, um, you know, things I look forward to like in the next blender. But uh, I think the, the system as it's currently looking is uh, definitely promising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very promising. And and there are features in the making that um, I'm, I'm looking forward. So let's see what the, the developers uh, come to us. Well, talking about developers, uh, you are kind of getting into development, but how... How are you, do, are you doing it? Can you talk to, to us about uh, hard ops and how the process has gone, uh, who are you working with? Oh, yeah. So hard ops has been a, uh, you know, an adventure in, in coding, to say the least. You know, whenever I first started it, it was an, an idea on trying to um, basically turn some keys into macros to try to reduce the amount of keystrokes that are being used. Because this, one of the things that I'm always conscious of when I'm using Blender is, huh, I did that, but it also took a lot of clicks. 
um, mm -hmm. you know, also why I recommend getting a tablet, you know, it's just organic. You just pick it up, touch, and you just forget for a little bit that you're in a very highly technical program where every button does something possibly destructive or not good or undesired. But with my development, um, it was just a matter of just creating a tool set. But, um, you know, the, the whole idea came about as a result of meeting this uh, guy, Adrian Mikowski, who is uh, what I call the other 50% of hard ops. He's a, you know, a major component in his development and is um, probably one of the, the, the best people I've had the pleasure of working with um, uh, in the, in the earlier times, uh, you know, prior to zero five, zero zero five, it was just me and him basically working on things, uh, getting auxiliary help occasionally. But uh, a lot of it was just experimentation, stand up late and just, you know, laughing about things in blender and workflows and arguing over things. But um as it, as it went on, we got more people involved on the team. In fact, uh, for this version 007, we were able to um, convince uh, Jacques Luck, uh, who is developing the animation notes for Blender, yeah, into uh, taking a part. So he's actually a like Python master. Like he's so dangerous with Python, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's 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 amazing to work with him. Um, just seeing him fix things that I've done has taught me so much about coding and is uh you know empowering because he has such a uh, complete, completely different attitude in fact you know that's that's kind of what it's uh, been working with all these people everywhere is uh you know different attitudes around the globe different philosophies mm -hmm. um you know like i never knew blender had such a reach in inside of uh you know spanish-speaking communities or french-speaking or japanese or german you know and these are these are audiences i've never thought of that are you know possibly in the shadows doing really amazing things that we're just not aware of because of uh potential language barriers so yeah. uh through the process of connecting with all these people i see that there's so much extra to blender than what's what's mentioned on the website what's in the wiki what's in the box because everybody at some point when they get far enough in their adventure they're going to make blender theirs and, that, and that's the best step of all you know I, I remember i was reading on the um the training site because i wanted to look into their certified training program and uh, you know, they had these like 12 principles they were looking for of uh, you know, mastery to give the certification. One of them was Python and I never thought I'd get that, but now I can, you know, confidently say I've um, you know, been through most of the aspects of blender from rigging to modeling, to compositing, to simulation, at least in some respect. So, I mean, even to new users I always recommend first, see everything that's there then focus on what you got to do yeah. you know instead of uh i'm going to master modeling then i'm going to look into rigging like you're not going to do that just yeah. just learn it all at the same time because yeah. you may find that smoke is only a button away or water is only two buttons and then it is because object quick smoke quick fire quick explode <laughs> boom done effects in there so i mean that's something already you can just start adding to your work off the bat of um, course of course, yeah, and maybe then you can spend some time tweaking it and uh, getting into the details. But uh, at least getting started in every in every aspect is something I also recommend to my students because it's like um, you know um, when even if you are going to end up just modeling in a studio, it's good to know the whole process and how everything works. So so when you are doing something, you are caring about how this that you're doing will affect the next guy, and they will value that knowledge. Because not, not everyone has it. Um, like if you only care about modeling, you may not be aware of or, or, uh, the position of the loops that you're doing 
how it will affect to the guy that will have to rig that model. And that can be a potential problem in a studio environment or when working on a team. So, so I totally agree with you there. Oh yeah, and it also you know helps for uh, you know people that are looking into Blender from the outside. You know, a lot of people when they're they're like, yeah, I'm thinking about Blender, but it doesn't do this, you know, or it doesn't do this, or how do you do this, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's definitely important to you know be have a, a rounded knowledge, especially in a, a program like this. Like, uh, so even though people look at me and they're like, hey, that guy's a modeler, or that guy's a sculptor, you know, I kind of frown at that because any day I could just decide hey i'm gonna rig this character or you know whatever the whatever the occasion calls for i'll have to uh, rise to it especially as a as an indie artist you have to learn how to do it all yourself and if you do it in stages you're gonna end up with a uh very mis mishandled skill tree of of skills here you know like um I was previously working in uh, animation, trying to learn that. However, um, after all the frustration of keyframes and Bezier curves and translating axes, gimbal lock, I finally oh, decided yeah. I was going to just wait, wait a bit and to see how motion capture technology goes uh, <laughs> over the next couple of years. I was hoping that the Kinect would have had a better motion capture sensor to begin using that for, for things, but that's almost my plan now is to just uh, learn it casually and just wait for the technology to get better. But I, I kind of got off topic there, but, uh, you know, no, no, <laughs> back no, to it's, hard ops. It's so. what this is. It's what this is. I mean, uh, we, we can just talk freely about whatever thing because it's always interesting to to learn about these points of view. And, and you're right about that. Sometimes, you know, you may not like exactly how something is working, but um, uh, nowadays technology advances at a, at a very, very fast speed. And, you know, maybe just worry, waiting for a couple of years and uh, we'll have some technology that allows us to do it uh, more easily. Like sculpting, like you're doing here in this live demo. Uh, for, for the guys that are just listening to the podcast, you're not seeing it, but um, uh, in the video you will be able to see it. Uh, he's doing some kind of uh, sculpt here, here for a hard surface model. And, um, you know, these sculpt techniques, just uh, 10 years ago, nobody knew about this. I mean, this, this didn't exist. Um, ZBrush came just a few years ago, and uh, and nowadays we use it all the time. <laughs> so it's um, you know nowadays things I, I think are getting easier, and um, you know even with things like hard ops, um, you may have a hard time um, <laughs> just uh, trying to do some models and stuff. But then uh, an add-on like hard ops comes in, and uh, it makes your work a lot easier and faster. So so yeah, it's uh, it's what it's all about. And that was the goal was to, you know, if it makes it easier for anyone that's using a tool, then it's done its job. But if you've also learned things about modeling or, you know, your, uh, you know, one of the things about 3D that always kind of got me is the amount of uh, technical know-how that's required behind doing the things that you envision. You know, you start out 3D and you're like, oh, awesome, I'm going to make this thing like this thing that inspired me to get into 3D in the first place. But, you know, now I think about every test, I'm like, I, I see that that would be a long time modeling, compositing, rigging, texturing, all that stuff. So it, it's definitely important to be able to have uh, an easy workflow. Like your, your pipeline should be uh, fun and easy where you can get from point A to point B without issue. Because every time you get hung, it, it, uh, it just makes that project all the more longer. You know, like once a file in Blender is like over 100 megabytes, you know, it becomes a, a bit of a a pain to deal with, you know, like, it's like, I don't know if I want to open this today <laughs> because it's, it has so many keyframes. It has so many NLA tracks, it has so many 
in the viewport is so massive. Uh, there's groups everywhere. There's 800,000 materials, you know. So it, it's, it's really, I mean, at those times, it's really the fundamentals that you learned at the very beginning on page one. That's what helps you make it through those times. Like, you know, I always get punished because uh, I don't always name things. Like, at the end, I'm like, what is this object? Okay, it's plane 0085. I'll remember that. I won't remember that. But because I didn't name it, <laughs> you know, that's like page one. Like, name your object in the outliner, you know. Yeah, of course. But, but 3D can always stand to be made easier. And, in fact, you know, after hard ops, I want to try reapproaching other tools. Um like I was thinking about even expanding into sculpting just because, you know, I think there's, there's some ways that sculpting could be just made faster where, you know, like I almost consider it a game now where I open Blender, no UI, and I just work as long as I can. Every time I open the UI, it's, it's a fail. It means that I had to go and retrieve an item from the, okay. from the UI. And, you know, that's, that's people's biggest complaint. You know, I see ZBrush people and they're like, that Blender UI, what are you talking about? Have you seen ZBrush's UI? You got to press T just to take <laughs> it out of 2.5D mode just to start sculpting, you know? So now I have to come out to uh, go into my brush panel. So, you know, maybe we need a floating brush panel. But my goal is definitely to make it as possible, <laughs> make you able to work as, as long as possible in full screen mode because... Every time you leave out, you know, that's you having to tweak parameters. Play, and they're necessary, but maybe they could be a little less necessary for the creative process. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, you, you mean that, you know, you would like Blender to be like more art-focused and not technical-focused, right? Well, I mean, both of them still have a place. Um, you know, instead of, like, I would say, if anything, you know, that I would want in the 2.8 release, would just be like work, uh, would be like, uh, you know, more customization, like more customization you can't go wrong with. Like Blender's already opened their API in such a way where uh, I'm able to do things just through Python that I couldn't think were possible. I'm watching people try to make the same plugin in, in 3ds Max and Maya and Moto and Houdini, mm -hmm. and they're just not as flexible. They don't have that versatility that Blender has where you can literally take a mesh and dig your hand through it and turn it inside out if you needed to just through code versus other applications, which requires some degree of input from the user in order just to keep the motions moving mm -hmm. with your operators. I guess that's kind of complicated code talk, I guess, for doing <laughs> stuff, but you know, that's kind of how I look at it is, uh, you know, the amount of user input that's needed. So there's a lot of tools that are already uh, very well on the right track. It's just the amount of, user input in the actual experience at the end. But, you know, I'm not complaining about Blender in any means because, you know, the program, if I was told to organize all these buttons, I would do a much worse job. I would sweep <laughs> them under the bed. Like, which icons am I using right now? <laughs> you know, but I think it would be cool if Blender had like floating, like a floating icon menu bar that could come and go that uh, you could customize and have on the screen for, you know, your type of workflows that you're using mm -hmm. because a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is for workflows. So I'm, all I'm doing is customizing tools that are already there. In fact, you know, if you're using hard ops, um, you know, basically the sharpeners were invented by, you know, Campbell Barton because he single-handedly made all the commits that resulted in us being able to locate sharp edges Um add the bevel weights the way that we do like a lot of the control systems were like there are specific things to blender like for example if you have a mesh that's you know hidden in edit mode 
and you apply a Boolean on this mesh that's hidden in edit mode, next time you go in edit mode, the only part that's revealed is the mesh that you recently cut out. Mm-hmm. Like this is a almost a glitch, but it's a very particular behavior as well. So people like me, you know, I'm I'm real lenient. I mean, I'm real strict on the behaviors. Like, is this tool behaving exactly as I remember it? Because I almost think I can use Blender with my eyes closed. I mean, if I lost my vision, I you know definitely wouldn't be using Blender, <laughs> but I could because yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the tools behave the way that they are. You know, you go in Maya and you, you do the equivalent of G and you, you imagine doing that with your eyes closed and there's a gimbal that appears on your object that you're going to have to move your cursor and grab and begin moving as long as you want to move the object versus in Blender, you press G, it's automatically grabbed and being moved. That Only that object that's in that selection set that you chose. So, I mean, it's like really, uh, you know, when it gets to the behavioral aspect, it gets really technical. So I'm, I'm really nervous about it. Like, I'm pretty sure Tom will keep Blender exactly the way he always has with his vision. Because, I mean, I've come to trust it now. Like, <laughs> I, I get used to some of these features, and I'm like, I see how they intended us to use this. That's brilliant. I was yeah. just thinking wrong. Yeah, I, I actually sometimes have thought... Um, well, what, what would happen if, you know, if at some point uh, Ton just feels like retiring or something like that, what will happen? Who, who will just continue with his vision? You know, will, will it be the same? Will the software change a lot? Uh, I have thought about this, uh, but, but I, you know, I think it's uh, still a long way to go. So, so let, let's see what happens. And uh, about, about these floating menus that you have said, um, I also noticed that in, in one of the latest versions of uh, Hardops, uh, you have uh, like a floating menu for the modifiers, right? Yes. Now, this particular feature is like one of my favorites. Like, I, I'm not sure if the users are as impressed with it as I am. Well, I, I am. This was- I am because, you know, uh, the, the, the for what you have been talking about, it's uh, also how I usually work. In fact, I'm now... I'm now following a, I mean, giving a, um, a course about precisely hard surface modeling. And uh, I just set up Blender in a way that I start from scratch, full screen, no menus every time. So I enter and I exactly. only see the object, right? So I try to work only with uh, keyboard shortcuts and only use the menus whenever they are, you know, extremely needed. And these modifiers is something that keeps, uh, keeps uh, bugging me because, you know, whenever I want to add a mirror modifier or I want to add an array or things like that, I have to, you know, get out of, of full screen and go to the properties menu and find the modifiers. And so that kind of gets you a little out of the, of the workflow, right? And so I, I was surprised when I saw that it was even possible, you know, to have the modifiers in a floating menu out of just pressing a key, you know? I was like, wow, this is something I would uh, definitely love to, to see in Blender more often. And Jacques was the one who figured that out. When we first put it, there was an enormous glitch that was about to have to go to release because we couldn't figure out where the uh, box wouldn't actually refresh when you change the parameters. And we could not figure it out for the life of us. And at the very last minute, Jacques was like, yeah, just add this uh, line here. Like that. That's, that's why he's such a, a great uh, asset to have on the team. Like, um, <laughs> because he just will, will point out a, a simple mistake. He's like, oh, you forgot a semicolon. It's like, oh my God, you just fixed a glitch that's been around since zero zero two um 
but the modifier helper that one's definitely one of my favorites in fact like if you look at it now it's actually expanded now to have materials which is still uh currently being added but the goal is to have it where you can uh, apply material indexes and stuff like that if you're dealing with a uh, substance-based workflow or just the way I do it where I just kind of work and just texture things as I go and uh, just get it for a quick viewport render just a little quickie while I'm just you know waiting on something or uh, kicking back okay. but under the misc misc is uh, one that we added here just as a uh, like a ponder menu uh, this one we're just uh, everybody on team hopefully is is working and just looking at this thinking what would I put there that would make this convenient? So we've been talking about all these different ideas. Um, and for example, for 008, me and Adrian want to um, do a, like a scene in Unreal and render an environment using hard ops and uh, Blender and set all that up real nice. And so we're thinking about loading this with, the, um, with a series of options for helping people get things to Unreal. However, I went in the Blender market, someone already made a, a, an add-on for dealing with Unreal. In that case, I'm not going to go and rewrite the will. Like that's been my philosophy this whole task. Like if someone else did it better, don't even bother. Like uh, there was some stuff I wanted to do with mirroring. And there is a guy who made the auto mirror plugin. That's just phenomenal. It does. Um, it does more than I, I, I could have expected to get it to do, for example. Um, and, and this, the auto mirror is of course, you know, one of the uh, plugins that's external to hard ops. However, if you have it, it unlocks additional options like an Easter egg, which is another thing we wanted to do with hard ops was kind of add features that could be unlocked by other things being present. Um, you know, for example, the guy that made mirror tools, uh, Paul Gariskin is also a uh, friend of mine. So, um, I was talking with him about the mirror tool and I'm a big fan of how it's used, how you can use the curves to guide curvature. So that part's also been implemented, but the auto mirror, you know, if you click the auto mirror button, basically it will take this object bisect half of it off and then put a mirror modifier on it, basically ejecting half of the object and putting a mirror modifier on. So whenever you're working, you know, you have the non, you have the destructive mirror, which is just alt X. It'll just mirror it. Mm -hmm. Um, if you have set up, you know, your mesh tools symmetrized to work on all X. However, also there's under mesh tools, the, uh, auto mirror. So there's the mirror helper, which is just a pop-up window in case you want to deal with parameters when setting up your mirror. But for people like me, I just like to fire and forget. I tend to always mirror on the X, the negative X always. So I just set a button to just quickly auto mirror. Now I can go in and just begin dealing with this half of an object. Yeah. However, you know, when you're dealing with Booleans, it's not always ideal to have a mirror modifier active. So that's why the uh, non-destructive one's here. However, you know, with the modifier helper, you can easily go in and just, you know, collapse that, you know, take this, mirror it over, and just get back to work. That's great. And uh, what's, uh, you know, I was I was um, interested about this. I, I wanted to, to find the occasion to ask you, and, uh, well, this is a perfect occasion, I guess. Because in one of the latest versions, I think it's a zero zero seven F. Can it be? Is it possible? You have yes. You have um, a pizza, a button for ordering pizza inside the 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 atom. What what is with this? What's what's with that? All right. So so one of the 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 big jokes with me and all my friends is that I eat a lot of pizza. As a guy that. <laughs> stays inside a lot. I, I guess I do eat a lot of pizza. So I wanted to add a button in hard ops as a joke about ordering pizza, but <laughs> the, the users have been pretty, pretty psyched about it. So instead of uh, removing, we were actually putting it in there as a joke, just to show people 
and then we we're going to remove it before release but instead we were lazy and was like you know it's a bunch of work to remove a menu just leave the menu <laughs> i don't care you know so we left the menu more people liked it so in the next version of hard ops we're going to try to take it to another level so we're already talking about ideas to make it uh more interactive like you know i think it'd be cool if it like drew a pizza pie menu on the screen and then you can choose from three quadrants the place you wanted to go with like like something highly technological like maybe more advanced for a pizza than you would think you maybe but that would be like you should maybe awesome. find a, a, a sign a contract with the pizza providers and and i have a suggestion for here some feedback in case you want to add it uh some some new feature uh make it work in other countries because i'm from spain and here we don't have papa john's exactly <laughs> exactly so many people have already told me about that part so what what we'll do in the next version definitely will it'll be customizable so in the preferences right. you should be able to specify your pizza locations also <laughs> not all countries like pizza so yeah <laughs> i'll i'll prefer it now internationally in fact i was also making the joke that i should add a button where you could just literally send me a pizza oh and uh <laughs> that was uh the, the subject of a lot of jokes because it's like what if you start receiving pizzas at eight in the morning well hell yeah i just yeah. got an eight in the morning pizza <laughs> like i guess i have a pizza for breakfast <laughs> oh that's great all right and and uh, now we already talked about that, that you are like uh like to uh, kind of explore the software and, uh, you know, do modeling and rigging and rendering and try all this stuff. But uh, is there some specific subject inside the Blender and 3D in general that you like over the others, like uh, modeling or texturing or whatever? Oh, it's definitely the creation process. Um, as I've become more more committed to, um, you know, Blender education and um, assisting people with uh, getting more in touch with the artistic side of Blender and stop fretting so much about the technical side, I've, I've come to notice that there's a, a large issue with users being able to get started. You know, it's like, and it's happened, it happens to everybody. You know, sometimes I open Blender, I look at a cube and I'm like, you know, I can make anything. I can start sculpting a robot, I can make a car, I can, you know, and what stops you, you know, what stops you is probably either it's too much work or you already know in your head that the result's going to be something that's, uh unacceptable so i'm i'm hung on that creation process for now until i can until i feel that i've adequately uh created or done something that would uh you know better equip people to uh get in and just begin creating because it's such a it's such a, a large thing like uh you know people say i make a lot of cubes but um you know the reason i started doing it was because everybody i know has a cube when they start up so if people started actually giving me back my cubes, I would probably just stop making cubes. <laughs> However, you know, it's just to demonstrate that you can literally go in with a simple object and just kind of suspend your thinking for a moment and just trim and trim and cut and trim and shift and trim and shift some more and end up with the result that, um, you know, it's just, you know, sometimes I, l I look over the stuff I create and it's like, uh, I sometimes I don't remember the thought process that I went into actually making it. It's because, you know, I stopped thinking for a moment, just kind of mm -hmm. listen to music and just, just let it go. Yeah, or like now that you are oh, you're working and, and doing this at the same time that we are speaking, uh, how, how are you able to do this? I, I mean, <laughs> when I explaining things, yeah, I can be explaining what I'm doing. But if I have to be talking about something and doing something else, I would be freaking out. I'm really bad at multitasking. I admire you. 
Seriously. <laughs> that's that's probably from working in the call center. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of the whole time I was working in the call center, like these people would call, like literally asking the stupidest questions on earth. Like <laughs> that's not even uh, exaggerating. I mean, like you know, every call was literally me being like, "All right, go ahead and uh, unplug your modem. What's the modem?" Well, your modem is the box that we gave to you when you got our internet service. Uh, well, I don't remember where that box is. Well, listen, you're going to have to locate this box in order to proceed with this call. We continue discussing this box and the likability of whether or not you have it, seeing that you previously had internet. Like, you know, having to explain the logic to these people. In the process of explaining that sort of stuff to people, you can do so much in Blender. So, I mean, have, near, the, near the end of my career, it gotten to the point where customers were busting me not listening because I, I would just I would just tune out. I would only hear keywords like blah 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 internet lights. Okay, lights. You said lights. What lights? Tell me those lights. Like yeah, I'm a watchdog. So you tell me them lights on that modem right now. Like that's the most important question on freaking earth right now is what lights are on your modem. And so you know I just zoom zone out, listen to keywords, and um, that that sort of multitasking. I mean, when they allowed me to work at home, it was game over. I mean, I was literally working from home, working in Blender. I have like a, a 42 inch TV and this ultra wide monitor. So it's like, great, right? Being on this computer instead of a work computer. And then on top of that, um, I was playing Xbox, talking to my friends online, playing games with them, <laughs> dealing with my roommates, all this stuff at the same time while I'm working this job and just telling people, please unplug your modem. By the time they found their modem, I could go in the kitchen and start cooking breakfast, put some tortillas on, start cooking some eggs and bacon, and get the chorizo out, and it just already start coming together all before they found their modem. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I recommend to anybody probably tech support. Like, I mean – I probably wouldn't recommend it to anybody because I like people, but if I didn't like you, I would definitely recommend it. Like it'll, it'll, it'll make it a blender master out of you. Okay. I, I'll keep it in mind whenever I want to improve my skills. <laughs> and uh, uh, I have another question for you. And uh, it's, uh, you know, since uh, a long while ago, I started watching your, your videos online um, because I kind of was um, interested in what you were able to do and you were showing a lot of stuff in the same video like uh, huge videos of one hour and a half showing the whole process of making something cool and uh, I, I was wondering what, what was the reason that uh, made you start sharing these videos did, did you expect this to be successful or uh, did you expect it to for some people to be interested on them well you know when I first started making videos the responses weren't weren't very good However, you know, the, the responses always, uh, you know, drive you, I guess, or, or don't drive you or become your excuse. So in my case, you know, the, the more negative criticism I ever receive, you know, the more I'm going to show you. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of the same attitude I had with Blender. Like, uh, you know, when I first started, I was like mauling ducks and guns and controllers. So, you know, people were like pointing out things. So, um, you know, with every critique, it, it just makes me, um, you know, go in the, go in the shadows and, and work a little bit harder. So that was kind of how it came about. But, it, you know, it was really because, you know, I was watching uh, your site, Andrew Price's uh, Blender Cookie, and, uh, you know, noticed that there was just a shortage of videos, you know, like uh, in content. You know, in fact, uh, I've written letters to several of you guys, maybe you too, you know, at some point. But 
it's just at the end of uh, you know the videos. I mean, you know, sometimes I'd watch a video, and then at the end, I'm like, you know, I wish there was something else I could watch that continued on. You know, so I, I, that, that was like the idea. Like, I wish there was a video that just didn't end. I wish there was a video that just kept going until I said no more. <laughs> so that's kind of what my my long videos are. Like, those are for like if you're really just bored and you're just willing to sit there and watch me model for that long either you're really dedicated or you're trying to really learn something but if i were to break that down into an 18 hour tutorial series that just like time is money so the, the longer I, i've been using blender the shorter my patience is for tutorials like um you know even even now like um you know i do really long ones but if i'm looking up some stuff you better not be talking more than five minutes because you're going to lose me, especially if it's a basic question. Like, I mean, I start Googling very hard when I need some <laughs> answers. So that was like the, the same kind of philosophy was, um, you know, just something to play at the end of videos, you know, which also kind of opened the idea to, um, you know, making my videos something a little bit different than uh, what everyone else was offering, which is, uh, you know, also a, an interesting way to go for everyone that's, uh, you know, make tutorials. Like we see, you know, Andrew Price definitely has his uh, signature style and way of doing things along with Blender Cookie, along with Caleb, Alex Androv, and even along with you guys with y'all's orange intro and the Blend Tuts logo that's recognizable even from space. <laughs> so everybody, you know, has their, has their niche. So, I mean, I still haven't even like created like an official logo or any of that stuff yet because, you know, it's, it's all just, I always suspect like I'll just change gears at any point. In fact, even now I'm like thinking of what I would do after 3d. Um, if I left 3d, you know, because my, my goal is definitely not to be a modeler anymore. Like uh, a lot of the people I deal with in 3d, they're, they're competing for this job. Like they're like, I'm going to get this job at XX studio and that's going to be it. I'm not competing for a job. I'm competing to not get a job. My goal is to not get a job. Like if I could just get paid to just work in blender, then, um, you know, I, I've, uh, succeeded in life. Yeah. You know, if I, if I can make it to blender, like that's it because it's like, uh, the, the, um, it's it's easy after after you've ground long enough in it. But if you come from any other program, Blender is going to be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing yeah. I've learned. Like if you come from Maya, you're not going to like it as much. But if you come in here just off the street, never seen another program, you will. This program will become your gospel. Like that's what happened to me. Is I only saw Blender when I came in. <laughs> So I didn't get Maya and 3ds Max like, and all those people that are out there that are like, you gotta be using this for games or else you're not gonna make games or you know all yeah. that stuff like all those arguments. I didn't get hit with that stuff until way late. So by the time I came into the actual Blender community, I had already spent like many years actually grinding in private, um, mm -hmm. which you know because I, I thought you know when I first picked up Blender, I was like, man, I bet. I bet the Chinese and, and the <laughs> Asians, like they already, got, they already got Blender. Like they're probably Jackie Chan and Cubes, man. Like I bet they just like, just like do like Lotus moves and they just like cut an object into a person, you know, like, cause they, they like learned all these skills. And then I jump into the Blender community and I learned that it's actually a lot different. And there's like more of a confidence issue than there is a, um, you know, a competitive nature. Like I'm an extremely competitive guy. Um, like if you become my enemy, I'll become your rival and I will always be in the shadows, making sure that I'm overtaking you in this invisible race that no one's running but me. But it's been my secret to progression as I pick people out and I just watch them and I just keep making sure that I'm grinding in the direction I want and not the direction they're going or that I'm 
approaching their level of skill. So, I mean, it's, it's with everybody, you know, all my rivals are all over my Pinterest, like all those people I'm watching them. I'm watching what you, what you do, what you eat, where you sleep, your, your dating habits, what movies you're watching, what inspires you. What's that book you're reading? I need that book. And so you eat pizza because you know, and so you eat pizza too. Yeah. To, to com <laughs> <compliment>. yeah. <laughs> that, that probably takes out my competitive edge. You know, you eat enough pizza, you have less energy to, to show people, but I still got enough. Yeah, I'm still driven by pizza. You know, me and my girlfriend have swore it off like, like uh, probably like eight times. I think we were just talking before this thing about getting a pizza, just a little pizza. You if, know, I, if I wanted to compete with you, I I know that all I have to do is to send you pizzas to your place, so you you can't start uh, working actually. Just eat pizza. Oh yeah, or or just send me or just send me pictures of robots. You know, like <laughs> that's it. Like uh, I have a, I have a lot of people that um you know I consider rivals, and um you know we we keep it we keep it friendly. You know, I'm not like slashing their tires or anything or putting them down, but you know, um it's like a like almost a think tank in which we're you know exchanging secrets and techniques and uh you know it's helping each other push to the next level. So I mean that's the you know the other facet of 3d that probably is never covered it's the uh, whole teamwork yeah you know if you can find people that you can uh you know be with as a team and grow with it'll definitely exponentially help you accelerate a lot faster For sure. um you know as far as even my, my own learning like I, i feel i've experimented with it to just see what's working and what's not like step back and analytically ask myself hey i just watched an eight-hour video What do I remember? I don't remember anything. So I wasted eight hours. I'm going to stop watching this video and figure out why I did not remember anything I just watched. So it's, you know, that same kind of thought process. But yeah, Think Tank, you know, definitely goes a long ways. Like, I mean, you know, even if you read like self-help success books, they talk about how essential it is to have a, uh, a group of collaborative, you know, non-aggressive uh, people working to the same end, cooperating because the answers will come from, angles that you couldn't begin to comprehend because you know your mind is so linear in the, in the way it's created that you can't think of you know that's that even goes back to hard ops you know like people come up with solutions to problems i can't even see yeah um and you know that's that's the real exciting part of it is how much you actually learn in the process of working with others i mean you know when hard ops first came out i didn't know how to code python I just watched Blender Cookie's tutorial on how to make a panel, which is why I had a panel. <laughs> But that was it. I just watched your tutorial on how to make a panel. Used um, Darren Darren O3Ds, who's the same guy that made Batch Operations, one of my favorite add-ons. He made a script that he made an add-on that basically records your macros. So all I did was use his script to record macros. Use Jonathan Williams's tutorial on how to put operators into menus and that was it hard ops was born and then the more people that got with me the more that things changed for example um, when wazoo joined the team we added pie menu support uh whenever uh mark brewer as we call him operative mkb joined us um he added panel support now these two users here are are very special cases um that are worth mentioning uh wazoo is what i call the pie master like he <laughs> is a pie fanatic and MKB is a panel fanatic. So it, over the course of learning add-ons, I learned about these two people and by working with them, we were able to take it to a different level of usability and workflow, opening the door for all different ideas. 
but it's all through those connections you make with people. So, I mean, I regret not uh, getting on BA sooner, or I don't regret not going out sooner because otherwise I'd be discouraged like uh, everyone else. But instead, I just kind of kept my head on the grindstone and kept working in Blender because there's nothing worse than the sounds that were coming in my ear from these people on the telephone. Just like the worst things ever. I mean, uh, I don't think you live in America, so you don't know what West Virginia is. But No, I, I, I heard of it. I heard of it. <laughs> I've never been there. It's rural. It's rural. There, I don't know how fast your internet is, but their internet speed there is like uh, one meg and a half. Wow. Well, I, I I have to I have to say you know if I wanted to to install internet actual internet in my where, where I live I live in the countryside and so I only have this old internet that is like uh, I think fifty six k's kilobytes. Uh, oh snap! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that when I was saying it, I was like, oh snap! Watch watch uh, Oliver here actually have the same internet that we no longer support fifty six k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it's crazy, and I'm I'm. Almost nearly every two or three months, I go to the uh, to the internet providers and ask if there is some new plan or if there they have support for this area. But nothing nothing is coming for I don't know since ten years ago or something. Uh, for a few years, I I was living in other cities and stuff, so I didn't have these problems. But now uh, we are lucky at least because we have satellite internet, uh, which is actually great. Problem is, it's pretty expensive and it usually has limits. You know, like you cannot transfer more than a given well, amount of gigabytes and something like that. But that's a problem for for people like me because you know, if you work with HD videos and if you watch tutorials or or, or upload videos and stuff like that, you can consume very easily several gigabytes of information a day. You know, and they offer plans like 10, 20 gigabytes. That's that's laughable. You know, nowadays, like they they offer you. Uh, like in your phone, you can have like, oh, you now can have up to three gigabytes in your phone. Well, if I watch a few YouTube videos, that's gone, uh, you know, and, and people nowadays just have Netflix in their fucking phones. Uh, well, I, I, I maybe should uh, not say that word, but anyway, doesn't matter. Um, it's my podcast. Oh, no, no, don't worry about me. It's my podcast. Nobody's going to, to censorship. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Um, Internet is not a uh, great right here where I live because I live in the countryside. But well, satellite internet, um, despite of the little delay that we have and stuff, it's actually pretty good. But uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's how it goes here. Okay, just um, let's keep it going. Um, are you? Working like uh, we know about hard ops, and it's probably still a, a long way to go. Uh, do, do you plan on developing like much more than it already is, or do you have some roadmap that uh, you know when it will be finished, or just keep adding things to it? How how's that going? Uh, spoiler alert: It ends <laughs> at one. At well, by one, we hope to get it to where we want. Now we could basically be developing on it forever. However, the amount of features that I'm trying to add to it, the other people on the team are basically telling me that to stop doing that. So that's why it's going to end is because the code has actually gotten so heavy and like navigating around requires a tour guide. So since I'm like the main guy, I'm the tour guide. So I'm like uh, that modules in this file and this folder and this folder and this folder on this repository, you know, like I'm having to explain all that. So, um, I definitely want to like in this version we wanted to add some stuff to do, deal with lighting 
um, like kind of my, my own twist on how I'd want to deal with lighting in a full screen mode. Um, so the ideas that we came up with for that were kind of everybody on the team kept saying that these aren't really hard surface features. And I'm like, well, it's not so much a hard surface tool as much as it's a workflow wrapped. A, it's a tool wrapped around a workflow. But yeah, I think it'd be easier to make this one a secondary thing. Um, but so we actually have a couple of uh, ideas that we're just rolling around. But um, now that I've opened the door for what, what Blender can be just through scripting, I see that I could change a lot of things that could just be minimal. Like, I, you know, I, I don't want to radicalize anything in Blender. Like, I don't want to come out and be like, this is how I think it should be. I, I do like the system of working within what we already have. But one of the things I always try to do is keep, with the defaults like uh you know a lot of people will customize blender to the point that it's no longer anything like what it is when you first load it mm -hmm. um you know with your default settings by tricking it out changing up the ui rearranging everything so i always try to keep it very vanilla when i open blender so that way people always can see when they see my videos that you can take blender out the box and do this you don't have to like i mean there's so many other add-ons that are like almost a complete like rehaul of like yeah. the entire system. So I don't want to rehaul that system as much as I want to work inside of it. Um, that way, if new developments are happening, I can still work inside of that. And those new features that are added can become part of the system instead of nuances we have to work against or work, worry about, you know, um, like, you know, like, uh, like a lot of people write me about Sensei brush, um, which is like a, uh, like an interface system, you know, Sensei has like his he has a, an entire he he blenders different yeah. <laughs> like like that would be his motto is blend differently um which is which is good but um you know I, I definitely try to not um put users in a situation in which they aren't able to go other places you know like and I, you know that's that's something i find to be important in this community is uh you know supporting everyone else at the at the at the same time because everyone's coming up with add-ons like there's add-ons coming out like every day yeah and yeah. so yeah it's it's, it, been, it's, it's been important to make sure it's, you don't break anything yes yeah and and i find also that when you use a lot of add-ons I, because i i have found problems in the past because of this because i used to uh, as, as you just said i used to you know uh custom customized blender to a point that it was like only for me and i have all these add-ons installed and sorted uh, specifically in a specific way but then a new version of blender comes out and some of they break some of they don't work as they had expected uh, any longer some of them uh have not been updated for like two years and so at some point things start breaking or things uh, uh you're not actually using the whole potential of blender because you, you have customized it in a way that is limit you in some other aspect. Uh, you know, like, for example, it, it, it happened uh, very recently that uh, one of my students, I was, uh, you know, sharing this um, little keyboard shortcut that is when you press control and two in the keyboard, for example, or any other number, it adds a subdivision surface modifier in that specific level of the number that you press. And uh, so, so it avoids you having to, you know, open the properties, uh, uh, window and uh, go to the modifiers and add the subsurface from the list. You just press Control two and you add a subdivision surface in 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 a second. Uh, however, for this guy, it wasn't working, and uh, we were troubleshooting and see, seeing what could be happening. And it was happened that uh, it happened that you know in the options 
of the user preferences, he had enabled the emulating numpad. So he had a numpad, but he was not using it because, well, you know, I have my right hand in the in the mouse and my left hand is in the left side of the computer, so in the of the keyboard. And so I have to move my left hand a lot to go to the <laughs> or my right hand to go to the numpad. So he was emulating the numpad in the num in, in the numerical uh, keys of the normal keyboard. So this was overriding the other usability and uh, you know he he just couldn't do the the control 2 for adding a subdivision surface. And same happened to me at the beginning whenever when I started using Blender because I came from other software and uh, I I said like who who selects with right mouse button? I mean, you have to select with left mouse button. So I changed it because it was an option. I discovered it was an option and I just changed it to the left mouse button. And what happened is that um, a few weeks later, I started, I, I started realizing that I was losing, um, you know, usability because Blender is thought to be used with the right mouse button for selections. And if you use the left mouse button, you are changing uh, the way you're working with Blender and, it, and you're working with it in a way that it wasn't thought for, you know, so, so you... Exactly. I always describe it as uh, Tan's vision. I always tell people, I'm like, uh, I trust in Tan's vision, like the, you know, the guy that makes blood. Um, like the way that he built it, like, I mean, it, as far as Blender goes, you know, you, you gotta, someone's gotta be the captain. So, and Blender, he's my captain. So I just, I take his word for it on all these tools now instead of, you know, cause I have some students and like, um, there's one in particular who's, who's actually very good. But when we first started meeting, he was like, yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually using the silo configuration, which usually when people tell me they're using a special configuration, I'm like, well, uh, you know, it was fun talking to you. Thank you for your time. I'm not <laughs> dealing with that because I'm going to say, do this and it's not going to do it. Like I've already been through this, but it, um, <laughs> it's, it's strange. Like uh, I think Blender is, uh, you know, it's, it's so wired at everything. So, I mean, if you start remapping buttons, like especially if, you're, if you remap W, right? W is special yeah. everywhere. It almost makes, it, it makes sense if you have like no sleep and you really think about it, like it makes sense. Like I always tell people, you know, the hotkeys in Blender, most of them have something to do with the function you're doing. Like uh, N is, um, or M is for move layer, L is for link, P is for parenting, O is for um, proportional editing. That doesn't make any sense, you know, yeah. but, um, you know, D is for draw with the grease pencil. That makes sense somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, or grab, grab, rotate, and scale. So, uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of them that make sense. So in Blender, I have only like two buttons I dare deal with. Well, I'm also using a Mac keyboard with this uh, PC. Uh, even though I'm on a PC, I still can't let go of that Mac keyboard. So I had to get one. But it has, um, you know, normal keys end at F12, but I have all the way from F13 all the way to F19. So I have those mapped to special things in Blender. But usually uh, Control tilde, Shift tilde, and Alt tilde. Like, I'll always remap that. Like, for example, uh, like, I have this selection here, right? Like, uh, you know, one of my favorite features in Blender is uh, going to select and choosing select boundary loop because it'll just select the outside of whatever is selected, right? Yeah. So you can just, like, make a selection and just go to, you know, select boundary loop. So as you can see, you know, right here, I actually have that right-clicked and, and mapped to, uh, you know, change shortcut to shift tilde. So that way I just press shift tilde to immediately grab it and then I can press, you know, control tab to uh, mark sharp. Uh, 
Um, but every instance I set that control tilde, alt tilde, shift tilde to something else. Like if I'm exporting a bunch of OBJs, then shift tilde is import and export OBJs and alt tilde is, you know, doing something else like that. And then just per instance, I keep changing those hotkeys. Uh-huh. And so that's how I kind of keep it uh, like variable. But I mean, now I've got this crazy macro mouse, but, um, but all I got mapped on that is Q, you know, Q, every button's Q. <laughs> he was he was like you know that was another thing like that was the one incompatibility issue i dealt with the most with hard ops was uh the q button uh when i first set up hard ops i decided i was like i'm taking the q i don't care who owns it i'm borrowing it i need it like i made the script uh, i need to get it to pop up i need a button yeah and and, and so if you, it, if you it, think it, about it there's probably no button left because Everyone, you know, if, if you set, if you take all the add-ons that are in the market and uh, all the options in Blender, any key on the keyboard that you pick is probably, uh, you know, uh, already use being used by, by another one. So yeah, it makes sense to use the queue. In, in fact, I I really don't know what the queue is for in in Blender by default because I <laughs> because I actually well, only use it with thing. add-ons, you know. I think it I think it's used by Amaranth tools. Um, I think it's also used by KD tools. Yeah, and it's, it's, and used, it's also used by viewport pies and the math utils, which is an add-on that allows you to quickly uh, just add a material from a list uh, and and stuff like that. But but it, they are all add-ons, you know, by default in Blender without add-ons. Do you know what Q does? Nope, nothing. <laughs> so neutrally, it does nothing. But but neutrally, if you get a neutral blender and you turn on the pie menus, it activates viewport pies. Oh, okay. So there's already an add-on built in the blender that's built to take Q. But, you know, uh, I always tell people to use the numpad keys, but a lot of people, you know, have notebooks, it turns out. Mm. So that, that, that was like a, a big issue whenever we first developed it. But um, it, we just kind of moved past it. Like, I mean, after a while, was, uh, we set up support where people can just change the key. I mean, uh, I'm not even worried about it anymore. <laughs> like, we're trying to add a, we're trying to add more tools to this thing. We're not trying to think about this key all damn day. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, like that's something I'll, I'll definitely have to take into consideration with the next plugin I make is um, to make sure to have um, a, a key setup that's like neutral like a, a q shift q and um yeah i think a control shift q like those those worked for for this one but um yeah i'm pretty sure you know i think the next thing i'll do i'll try to plug into the same system because we put a lot of thought into the system we had to try to make it where people don't get menu itis from looking at the q menu mm-hmm. so it's like three three options one option with an override for all the options and then three options. So it's three options, one option, three options. These three options will dynamically change according to what the situation is, mm-hmm. giving you the most relevant option. This is where you can just run an option regardless. And then these are like, uh, you know, specials. So, you know, at first, when this was the first version, like, um, you know, I actually installed every version of hard ops ever on, on Blender mm-hmm. and tried to just go through them and use it. And, but before 005, this plugin was rubbish. <laughs> As a creator, this plugin was rubbish. Like the usability, the menu, the menu was long. Like it had like, uh, I think, 20 options at one point. Wow. Um, and people were commenting on a video saying, you know, like there's a lot of options. So it's it's always a struggle. So, I mean, even with the next plugin, like um, 
I think the best system would be to keep on the hard up system and just make it plug in and expand on it somehow and just add additional menus or something like that. Since I've went through so much work to borrow the queue. In <laughs> fact, even the icons that you see here, the icons were made by um, uh, Adam Kroll, um, who uh, joined the team on after 006. And uh, basically all he does is make icons, but he is the best damn icon maker ever. <laughs> Like, I don't know if people remember the icons back when I made them, but they were pretty bad. I, I remember. But the I, I icons that them. he's added, yeah, they were just orange They're and obnoxious. And I actually modeled them in, in the Blender viewport <laughs> as I do everything. Like, like people actually make fun of me for it because I use Blender as Adobe Illustrator, as a Photoshop at times. Like, I use it for all sorts of stuff. Like, I'll be walk, working with Jacques, and he'll say, hey, you, this idea that you're talking about, can you just put it on paper because that that's how I work because I don't care. Just put it on paper. That's better. So I'll just go and blender and start extruding shapes inset, delete the faces in the middle, make like some squares, put text objects in it and just build flow charts. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, it's so much easier. Like I almost feel sometimes that blender could be taken into other areas, like other areas that haven't even been talked about yet. Yeah. Like blender could have the same control scheme, be a graphic editor, like you just grab a layer, press G or R or S. Like I mean, we would love it. Photoshop people would hate the hell out of that thing, though. <laughs> oh man, they would they flame. They 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 not eleven us over something like that. Like I mean, you think Gimp gets a lot of? You think Gimp gets a lot of crap? Yeah, you try doing something like. But I was talking with someone else about. it. I was like, hey, imagine if to move your desktop icons, you had to press B to box select it, press G to grab your desktop icons and move it. That would be Blender OS, right? And I don't yeah. think I would use that. But that's kind of the thinking process I've been giving myself is let's take some of these tools and think of them if we were asking regular people to use them and uh, just kind of approach it like that. Um, like, I mean, my dream job would definitely be to have any involvement with the uh, development team of this. So, I mean, I'm hoping that it gets their attention at some point to at least show them that I've used Blender long enough that um, I wouldn't suggest something that would go against, you know, Tan's vision. Like, mm -hmm. hey, we should just turn this bitch into Max, you know, like <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But let's uh, let's you know, get some of these tools to, to line up right. Like, uh, you know, there's some things with the knife tool that we've been talking about internally a lot because the knife is, like, almost perfect. I mean, it's almost perfect. Like, it previously was nowhere near perfect yeah. and then close to perfect and then the side of perfect, but that thing is damn near perfect now. Yeah, it's very great. It's almost. Very great. In fact, some people I know, um, you know, in the previous versions, it was the knife, but now it's like the super knife, but it can still be the ultra knife. For example, I call it the whole. I call it the holy knife now, <laughs> since you can now cut through, this, even through it on the Z. Like I call it that holy knife in my videos. I'm like, let's holy knife it like a knife through butter. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of programs that'll let you just like cut through it so cleanly. Like even in ZBrush with Slice Curve, um, you don't have point to point knife control. You just have a curve that's going to either turn your face into a try or just split it however it has to. Like, you'll get a pretty straight line, but it's going to brutalize your geo in the process compared to the way that uh, Blender has it. Yeah. Well, it, it's come a long way, definitely. I mean, I, 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 I can think about when I got started with Blender, and uh, I see it now, and, oh, man, it's really amazing, the progress. I, I think I started with version... Uh, just before you, uh, 2.48, I think, 
was the first version I ever used of Blender. And uh, the progress has been amazing. All right, and uh, well, we have been talking for more than an hour already, so I, we, we will be wrapping up, uh, wrapping up very soon. Um, so looking at your works, there is a lot of hard surface and robots. Uh, you also mentioned robots before, like, uh, you know, if I want to compete with you, I can send you photos of robots so you get uh, just stuck there. <laughs> so uh, what, what, oh, what, yeah. what inspires you? What, in, uh, what, what did you take as an inspiration for creating those robots? And, uh, or is there a specific reason why, why you like robots so much? A lot of the stuff in the the way I work now is uh, dictated by advice I've received from people that uh, I think are much better artists than me, in my opinion. So whenever I'm not, um, you know, making videos or goofing off, there's some people that I'm actually hanging out with like 24-7 who are very uh, on the ball, kind of like I am, where it's like art 24 hours a day. Mm. So they're always uh, giving me advice that's essential. But one of the best pieces of advice I got when I first met these guys was uh, from a friend of mine, uh, Andy Nolan, who basically was telling me that my work was um, random. Like, uh, that was the best way to describe it, you know, like uh, when it comes to critique, you know, uh, the best critique is always, of course, the critique where they tell you what's wrong and then, of course, tell you how to improve it. If they don't tell you how to improve it, then they're just criticizing you, which isn't the same as critique. They're just bashing you. <laughs> yeah. So he was telling me that, um, you know, that I could probably take my art to another level if I actually uh, began putting a story behind it and a reason behind everything in the works. So all these robots I'm doing is like uh, almost an experiment and um, focusing on character creation. Like I also sculpt a lot of humans um, in between as well. You know, my goal is to be able to sculpt pretty girls and uh, robots with ease. Uh, pretty girls definitely much harder than robots. So you don't see a lot of posts of those, but I do sculpt a lot of people um, and just practice in the, in the, in the shadows because, you know, you post a person and a person doesn't look right. People are going to definitely tell you it looks bad. Yeah. And every time I post people like it, I get so much negative critique that uh, is of no use. So I just kind of keep that on my end. So there's a lot of stuff I actually don't post because it's just like, I'm just studying this. I, if I was looking for advice, I would add, I'd post and ask for advice, but really I'm just seeing like, I almost feel that sculpting humans uh, tells me myself more about my understanding of what humans are because you know you look at a human you look at your picture and you look at your result and you're like well this isn't what I wanted well I mean instead of focusing on that what you should ask yourself is what is it that you see in people that isn't translating to your work or is this how you truly see people you know do you see only eyes of people is that why your eyes are huge on your models or you know it's like these are the questions you got to ask yourself because this is what will push it to a, another level. So a lot of people, you know, have always told me to try to attach stories behind all these models. So, I mean, even my, my favorite model uh, robot that you always see Dukes uh, has quite a story behind him. So my goal is to continue working on robots until that story is uh, put together. Um, but for now it's just real abstract. Like, um, you know, I'm just per, like, almost doing the same characters over and over. Like I, I tell people about when I first started Blender, I did all these projects. I tried to model a wagon and a dinosaur and like a car. Like I did like tables and apartments, like these projects. Right. And they were themed projects. But the thing is, is that after a period of time of 
of studying and practicing, I would actually come back to those same projects, not that project. I wouldn't open that blend file. Come on, it's old. I'm not going to open that again. But I will say in my head, you know, I'm revisiting the wagon idea and I'll remodel that same wagon. So, I mean, this is something I also recommend to all artists is to, uh, you know, pick your pick your, your your themes that you like to do and then just visit them occasionally. Uh, don't make a project out of it where it takes you like eight years to complete, but just a little quick day activity. Just you remodel something that you once struggled with just to see if you truly surpassed your, your ghost racer in Mario Kart, you know, <laughs> like just – just test it. So I, I've went back and I've, te- I've remodeled so much stuff. Like, I mean, and, and so a lot of stuff you see, like Dukes will continue being remade until like, I, like the, the, the way I see it is when the public loves him and they see, they say that is, that's the model right there. Like that, that's a very fine model. I love him. And, and you know, people are actually responding pretty well to him now, you know? So uh, once he's there, then I know that he's ready for the next thing. Like, um, you know, whether like, cause I, uh, my goal is of course to put the stuff in film and like, um, you know, eventually make music videos since I'm all, I'm quite passionate about music, mm-hmm. but I also see that if I go forward trying to push something without the uh, skills to back it up, or at least uh, convey my vision as I truly intended to be, it's going to be misinterpreted and people are going to laugh at me. And I don't want people laughing at something that isn't comedic. You can laugh at it if it's comedic, but don't be laughing at it because the animation's bad or the faces are bad. So because of that same thought process, you know, it keeps me working a lot more in the shadows, working on the next level while also keeping in mind that this may not be that thing that I want to take to the bank. Because while it looks good to me, my eyes may not have adjusted to what truly looks good. Mm-hmm. And like since I've become been doing 3d my opinion on what looks good has changed repeatedly i mean sure. you know uh, let me see if i could bring up a picture bring up dukes um let's see i think it doesn't give me a start menu whenever we're hanging out all right that's weird but anyways i'm also using andrew price's uh, pro lighting plug in here at the end but yeah, over the course, you know, I've made the same character over and over. So people are like, why are you always making robots? You know, is there something with these robots? Like, they're actually for something. You know, I actually want a world of these robots. So in order to make a world, I'm going to have to make a lot of robots. So that's why I make so many. <laughs> but some of them are actually upgraded versions of their predecessors because they're they're still not there yet. They're almost there, yeah. but they're not as cool as I pictured them in my head. So I can't take them further until they really give the feeling to the viewer that I want them to give. And, you know, that's, that's just uh, me though. Like there's a lot of people I think that are doing it the opposite way and they're working on their life's work as their first project. And like, you know, these are people that get with me and they're like, what do you think of this? I'm like, you don't want to know. They're like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, well, you should stop this right now. Don't give any of this stuff a name. This animation is so horrible. Don't give it a name. This is untitled animation number 59. You are perfecting your craft back in the woodworks with you because look at these people these like i mean you see you know andrew price making blog posts um saying that we need to hold a candle up to pixar and stuff like that which you know uh, that, that that particular blog post caused a little bit of uh, a turmoil in the community because people misinterpreted it mm. but the way i did interpret it is that you have to hold a candle up to the people that you want to be like you know you can't just oh my god i'll never be like this guy yeah, you know i used to look at the most possible robots and be like i'll never be able to do that but my attitude changed and it's like 
I can't model that, but I can steal stuff from it. I can steal that bolt. I like that idea on that eye. I like that leg. I like that foot. I'm going to take that piece with me. That metal shader, I like that. I'm going I'm to try to emulate that. Like, you have to take it with you. Like, yeah. I mean, and this is art we're talking about. The proof is in the pudding. You're looking at the work in front of you. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's, I think it, that's a good attitude because it's, uh, it's like you are kind of working on improving every time and uh, you're re uh, repeating. I like what you said that, that you like to revisit the old models and try to improve on them, right? Because I think that's the way to learn. And, um, uh, you know, about stealing parts of the of, of works that you, you, you see, uh, well, uh, you know, long ago, when I got started in 3D, I would look at some work and I would say like, oh my God, I, I will never be able to do this. But after a while, you know, you start improving, you start, it's time you see that you uh, can do better and better works. And at some point, your attitude changes totally, dramatically. And whenever you see a, a work that you actually want to do, your attitude, your, your look at it will be like uh, more in the uh, way of, you know, okay, I'm going to do this, but not, I'm not there yet, you know, but I know that if with some work and with some uh, passion on it and with some practice, at some point I will be able to do that. Um, because you, you know, you know, you, you have that experience that you have been improving in the, in the last uh, few words that you did. And so you can keep improving all the time. And, uh, but it, it's kind of difficult to see, especially when you are getting started. So, so I, I think that's uh, that's a good attitude right there. And uh, talking, yeah, it's so impossible to measure your own improvement. Like, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's that's why you have to revisit a project because you won't see it just day to day. Like, oh man, I think I've gotten better. Like, I've leveled up. By the time you actually get past that, it won't even matter anymore. You won't even be asking yourself that. You'll just be like this doesn't look the way I want it to. Like, it doesn't look good enough to impress people. No, it, it doesn't even matter. The other people don't matter. They're just there to help you gauge if you're, you know, moving forward. I mean, you're really working to please yourself, but, you know, um, I, I'm, I always feel that, you know, the, the users of Blender um, should always be uh, trying to do something, at least in a way of helping uh, push the name forward a bit. Um, I guess that's a hard way. I guess that's hard to explain, but yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a responsibility of all of us as artists, as blender users, especially passionate ones. You know, if you're a crazy fan, especially you have to, you know, you're, 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 you're its reputation. You're the person that people are going to look to as that's why I should pick up blender. Or that's why I should not pick up blender. Yeah, of course. Um, which is also helps that well-rounded understanding because a lot of people are just like, you know, I'd pick up blender if I just knew how to do this. Well, it's not that hard. Um, just do this, this, and this. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like a, a different strategy for for everybody I've I've met so far. Yeah, of course, each person has different uh, different views on it, and different. You know, if you have a different personality, the 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 things that work for you or for me might not work for uh, another person. So it's totally understandable, and you're right about that. Because uh, actually, when I got started into Blender, one of the general complaints from people was that you know you looked at works uh being done with max and you saw quality you looked at works being done with maya and you saw quality like things that you would see in the cinema back then or in video games but then you looked at blender works and it was you know it's like every blender users uh, user was an amateur and it was like 
medium quality stuff at most, at best. And so it was kind of difficult to get into Blender because it was like, well, you know, I want to do the things that are in the cinema, not the things that look amateur, you know. And so it gave the impression that Blender couldn't get it uh, farther than that. But that has been changed a lot on, on the over the last few years, and there there are, it starts to be like very professional artists working with Blender, and so it's time we see like better and better works being done with Blender, and that's I think uh, a benefit for the community for for Blender itself because it can keep evolving and attracting new users, and uh, so I, I think that's uh, something good, and um, you know with with. Yeah, you, you you want to comment something on that? Uh, you, you know, one of, one of the things uh, I like most about Unreal, besides how it closes, is um, the 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 launch screen, the splash that comes. I mean, the screen that comes, the Unreal Epic Launcher. Now, I know Blender people would never want a Blender launcher, but I do love how it takes you into a marketplace where you can download test scenes and look at uh, works that are impressive and break it down and see you know, how they did it. Like, uh, the Epic people build like such crazy scenes in Unreal and they just give them out for free. Like, don't, don't care. Yeah. Just give out these Epic scenes that you can just break down and look at. And like, you know, if we ever do anything with the next blender, I would definitely like to see like, um, a system that, um, you know, kind of helps new users in and it just points them at, like, it could even be like a curated by blend swap type thing uh -huh. where people are just pointed at like some of the coolest blends of blend swap. Cause there's a lot of awesome stuff in blender yeah, that people is. just aren't aware of. There is. And especially even on blend swap, like I scroll through there sometimes and I come across like gems, like, uh, most of my material libraries from blend swap, just materials I've tweaked over time. Yeah. And, and also, and, yeah, sorry. Uh, saying also in starter models, like uh, that's something that uh, you know 3D Coat has. Like uh, you can start off with like a base mesh of a person oh, yeah. that's really simple, like that kind of stuff. But yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. No, no, no problem, no problem. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, and and it, it's good to it's always good, and I think it's a good move from the Unreal guys because it it, it lets you when you're getting started with a with a program is not only that you will learn by analyzing those uh, scenes and seeing how things work and how they are being made. But it's also, I think, some kind of uh, motivation, you know, because uh, suddenly you open the program and you have something to look inside it that is really amazing. And, and, and that makes you want to do something like that, right? Uh, it's not like if you open Blender and all you have to look at is a cube. Or, you know, the, the best thing you can build from scratch is a monkey head, <laughs> you know. Um, so so I think that's... Uh, oh, that, that's that, that monkey, that monkey has to grow up. Like, we, it's time we evolve it into, like, a gorilla beast. Like, <laughs> Suzanne, the hulking gorilla, just... Like, that would be, like, the craziest insert. But I know that's just blasphemy. People love that Suzanne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it's like a kind of a symbol of Blender, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's like in 3ds Max, they have the teapot, right? That is, you know, it's it's a symbol of 3ds Max. If they change it, people, some people would complain because it's kind of a joke, right? Uh, that comes from the beginning of the software. But uh, but yeah, I, I would like to see a, a an evolved version of of Susan. In fact, I I actually uh, I, I saw it. Someone did it, and I saw it in a video, and I was like, hey, you know what? Let's do the same. Uh, eventually, I changed it, but uh, uh, for a while, I had a 
like I took the the Susan head and I remodeled it, you know, like I added detail to it and I added like some kind of armor to the head. And um, so I, I set up Blender so it opened with this, uh, you know, super cool version of the Susan's head. But um, after a while, I got uh, bored of, of that one and I changed it for, <laughs> for, the, for the, the, the simple one again. Um, there's one, one thing that uh, I wanted to ask you, and this is a question that uh, is from one of my students because I, I told them that I would be interviewing you. And some of the questions have, they made have already been answered uh, along this podcast and, uh, and some of them I, I already made them, okay? But this one is uh, specifically from one of the students and he's like, a lot of your works have a lot of detail. Like this, this gift that you have done here, for example, is like a, probably kind of a more or less random exercise like you do for warming up or things like that. But sometimes you're modeling a robot and uh, you may have inside your head, you may have a, a, an initial design or something. So to which point uh, did you plan one of these designs or and uh, to which point you improvise? or How do you mix those two? Uh, aspects of the design uh well you know the blocking in phase is uh, is really essential but the the part in the you know the part in character creation where you you know you're locking in the proportions is is definitely the most important like uh probably one of the biggest pieces of advice i always give to people that write me about stuff is let me see your block in oh i didn't have a block in all right that's where you went wrong because if you you know if you get a winning block in you you can't go wrong um, like if you if you block your character out with cylinders and spheres and you get the proportions to indicate the character standing in, in the way that you want him to, uh, just in that simplest format of just cubes and spheres, then you 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 see what what can be already just from the silhouette and the proportions being locked down that you can grow it. So you know usually in, in robots, the next thing I'll do after that will be you know building the forms, um, you know the surfaces, uh, polishing it up and just kind of locking down just the whole form. So everything's still manifold at this point, um, you know, pretty much. And, and I'm still in sculpt mode, you know, no detail, not, not no standard brush or, or damn brush like I always make. And then, you know, after you nail down the surface and you have like your, your plating kind of laid down, then, you know, that's when you want to think about the detail. So okay. uh, in a lot of my videos, especially if you watched uh, how to concept a robot in Blender, which I think is my least favorite video, but my most popular video, <laughs> Um, like I basically started off just carving the forms in there of the separations of the surfaces. But the uh, main thing I always think of now is uh, like form lines, like, uh, you know, the best robot in the world you could probably reference, unfortunately, isn't a robot, but a guy in a robot, and that's Iron Man. Like mm -hmm. Iron Man is like a robot that's been scientifically perfected to be like the most anesthetically pleasing, sexy robot human being like ever created. Like, I mean, uh, the, the the style and language and the forms and the, the curves and contours and the way that it's built, like it, it speaks a lot. Like I actually, uh, I was talking with one of my friends the other day and he was showing me a, um, some Iron Man images. And like, I realized he was showing me like, a couple of gigs of images like oh my god send me these images dude like i am always looking at iron man <laughs> but it you know, it's all in it's all the study in those forms like uh you know before when it comes to a, a robot especially a robot is uh in my opinion a little bit easier than a than a human because you know when it comes to the joints and the articulation areas all you gotta think is just something similar to a machine you know i'm not like i always say in my videos i'm no engineer 
So, you know, the stuff that I, I put in it is like stuff that's inspired by other robot joints that I look at. But I have a whole uh, Pinterest board of just joints. But the joints is, you know, what's most important because you want them to, you know, flush with the geometry, but also not penetrate and clip each other whenever the arm bends. So, you you know, you want to have enough flush distance. But after you start putting in the, um, you know, the brakes in the geo for the uh, hinges and stuff, then everything else is just surface. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the videos I do, I go a little overboard. And it's, it's sometimes I, I go overboard with all the details just for demonstration, just to uh, kind of get a point across that you can just keep going yeah. like with the detail, like there is no, I detailed it too much. Like, I mean, um, I always explain in hard hops, there's this thing called hot lining where basically if you bull tool an edge that's, that's parallel, if you bull tool it just right on that edge, it will not work out because you did what I call hot lining, which is where you put a double right on top of a double, which causes the Boolean to go crazy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have problems with that because of, that particular behavior, not aware that that's a behavior caused by hotlining. So yeah, that's kind of like the, the same approach, you know, is uh, you block in the forms, like you got to block it in and then surface it. So, you know, for hard ops, hard ops is really intended to be a surfacing. we could just put subsurf, put subdivision, divide it, make the mesh heavy. But really you want to get those forms without adding all the extra geo because the subdivision is going to add a lot, like, you know, all the things that are heavy, you want to, you want to measure that and decide if that's really a battle you want to fight. Like sometimes I don't want to use multi-res because multi-res will definitely bloat your blend file by like a hundred megabytes. Yeah. That's a lot of megabytes to add just to sculpt. So instead, I would rather just sculpt in dynamic topo, retopo it, clean it up, delete the junk file, and just have a cleaned up mesh and deal with it like that instead of bloating the file to an unimaginable lens or just work with multi-res per session. So it's really, you know, a matter of picking your battles. But, you know, also, you know, build a Pinterest board. Like, build a Pinterest board of robots you like. Like, if you see people on Facebook in these groups, 10,000 hours, you know, Verge of Epic making robots, and you like their style and their joints, just start building a board of it and just uh, go in Photoshop and, and start cropping them. And, like, I have, like, Photoshop documents of just nothing but joints I cut off of people, and I'll just – zoom through this document of joints and just be like, you know, I like this guy's joint and, but mix with this joint. And, you know, like, uh, you know, earlier we were talking about stilling. Um, you know, my policy with stilling is if you can pull it out of your head, it's yours. So a lot of the stuff I do, like, um, sometimes I'll, I'll just get a whole bunch of Pinterest board robots, just stack them all up and just trace over them. Um, just trace over them in Photoshop and just draw their forms and just study only the forms and just like uh, do studies like that. Like, I mean, I'll literally, if you do some work that's good, I'm going to be drawing over your work in Photoshop, analyzing you like this guy put a 45 degree angle right here because that's the type of uh, stuff that, that really is what's making it. Like people look at it and they're like how you do them details, you know, it's like, Zoom in on the fucker. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom in on that thing and really yeah. just like I see a fine I someone makes a fine piece of art and I see it, I'll keep it in my browser for days and I'll stare at their work for days and I'm just like, damn, how did they do that? I gotta do that. I wish I could do that. And then when people message me and they're like, Jerry, what are you doing? 
oh, I'm just looking at this piece. And then I'll have them stare at this piece. I'm like, man, look at this. How do you think they did that, dude? It's like, you think we could do something like that? Like, what do you think it took? Like, just crazy, especially Art Station. Like, Art Station is just like, I call it art porn because I just go there <laughs> and I just get stuck browsing through the feed and it's just dames and guns and machines and robots and like you know these people are all you know everyone on art station is better than you or better than yeah, me or better yeah, than anybody yeah. like they're, they don't know where these people are but don't look at it like that the way i see it is they can't take your job half of them are probably not even in your country yeah and then the other half of them can't make your country take your job so it's this worldwide exactly. yeah and so luckily, and then the other half so, sorry I, I didn't want to cut you Oh, no, no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no problem. <laughs> no, my, my take on that about, you know, like, uh, because some people ask me, because I'm a freelancer as, as well, I, I, I'm trying to get into the teaching uh, more, uh, you know, in depth and uh, just kind of leave the freelancing uh, uh, on the side. But still, I am a freelancer. And uh, some people ask me, um, you know, why, why did you teach other people? Because they are going to get your job. And I'm like, no, they are not. And And luckily, we are in a, in a society in which design and uh, 3D stuff and whatever, it's each time, each year is more and more popular. Now you have 3D in mobile phones. Uh, each, each day, there is more content that people is exposed to. Someone needs to create all that content. And, uh, you know, there, there are probably not enough good, good artists out there. In fact, uh, yes, it's, it's true that there is a lot of artists, but there is a lot more demand. The, the, the problem is that there is a lot of artists, but not all of them are good or not all, all of them, even if if they are really good and you look at their works and they are amazing, but maybe they don't fit on a job, on a specific job for a company because uh, maybe they are too slow or maybe they take uh, too many too much time on do a work and you need to deliver very quickly or, you know, maybe they are not uh, persistent. Whatever, there are a lot of uh, different variables there, right? But uh, still... Nowadays, I think uh, you you can if you're really good, you will get a job. You know, it's uh, I I I just think like uh, that is that is the case because there are new companies, especially now that there is all this uh, indie uh, thing. You know, like if you don't get a job and you are good, you can sell your own stuff. It's possible nowadays, right? Like. Uh, Oh yeah, I definitely believe in it. Like I was actually thinking about making a course about how to survive in Blender because it's like an underground that people aren't actually aware of. But you can survive using Blender. You just have to be particularly good at Blender. That's the that's the part that you got to do first is actually learn how to use the program, and then you know the money is there. Like uh, I'm a perfect example of how to survive without clients. Like uh, you know, I, I literally right now I could be like no, Mr. Client, I don't want to do that job that I don't want to do where I have to model a teddy bear and UV unwrap it and <laughs> go through 800 damn revisions and all this crap. Like I could just say no because I'm already busy in, in other endeavors. Like um, yeah. the ability to survive is definitely there. You just have to think a little bit outside the box. But I mean, you know, a lot of like if you talk to anyone that's using like Meyer or Max, they're going to say like there's no money in Blender. Like, oh, I'm trying to get a job, you know. Yeah. That is that is right. I, I I don't know. But there's a there's a better there's a better route though. Like there's a lot of people that also you know I see some a lot of 3D artists, especially in the Blender community, that are like just going towards Fiverr. You know, Fiverr is like the last place you should go if you're a 3D artist. Yeah, yeah, because if you're asked to do anything 3D, because it's very complex, and they they will pay you five dollars. <laughs> I, I think it's five dollars, right? 
it's exactly five dollars. It's five dollars. <laughs> like if you're going to do 3D work for five, and you know these people that sign up on Fiverr, I'm their first customer because <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> like, like here, make this robot. Oh, you don't want to do this robot for five dollars? All right, lesson learned. <laughs> yeah, because this is a robot you should charge them a thousand dollars for. Yeah. Exactly. This that I have here on my screen is definitely a, a a perfect example. I think on your student's question, as far as building up the forms and then worrying about the uh, details, the articulation. Like, like on this one, you know, I always start off with the blocking. Like, there's always a blocking underneath because if this fails, I can always just come back here and just restart with my proportions. But the first step is always, you know, just nailing down the forms. Like all of this is just me polishing and just driving these forms. Just like I want this form to curve around the eye, come here and, you know, yeah. just all of this. Like, uh, and, and this is, you know, kind of what uh, the modeling tools are lacking that I'm trying to um, uh, remedy with, uh, you know, the integration of mirror tools, among other things to uh, try to get like this sort of. Uh, forming modeling and so you can actually deal with these curves because you're dealing with it edgewise you're going to just be cutting and hacking and just trying to make your way through it um but because it's topology you know like if you start twisting it it's just going to become a skewed face so you can't really twist a, a vert too much in in the lieu of you know keeping a face you know a quad a quad region yeah. but yeah that that that's that should that should answer that now <laughs> yeah just and follow up sorry no, no, no problem, no problem. Now, now that you mentioned topology, I, I would like to know your, your take on topology. Like, for example, when you work with hard ops, it's like, uh, as you said before, you're not uh, going to use a sensor modifier and uh, it, it's not going to break because you're not going to use it. But if, if you need, like, uh, very a lot of detail when you are close to an object and you have curved surface, surfaces that are probably difficult to achieve with uh, the use of booleans and these sort of things or bevels, um uh what what what's your take on topology in in those aspects i'm a big fan of 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 retopology and in fact that was one of the things I, I learned uh how to do quite well when i was working in a call center you know like <laughs> uh, like i said i'd go in every day and i'd just try to like do stuff um before the end of shift so one of those things was retopology so uh, retopology is actually something i do quite fast like a lot of people always ask me about that and i just tell them you know like um uh, I don't know what to tell you because uh, I don't have a problem with it. Like, for example, ice tools um, also got retopo flow. However, retopo flow is um, still working its way around to uh, being um, for hard surface. So ice tools, however, will let you just kind of set up manually. In fact, um, I'm using 2.7, so there's actually a glitch here. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you know, no in normal cases, I could just vert uh, origin, uh, origin invert mirrored. All right, so, you know, and now just, uh, you know, go in uh, face snapping mode, pressing every button but the one I need. All right. And so, you know, just let's say I was just getting this front face. Um, let's see, am I in vertex mode? There we are. All right. So, I mean, even just this piece here, it's, it's, it's simple work. So, you know, uh, a lot of the things that I, you see me do in my videos, like sometimes I'll uh, model a form real basically, uh, do a little subdivision smoothing to get it to be rounded enough to be uh, at, 
non-faceted. Uh, that's another thing too that hard ops is uh, aimed at is preventing its faceting. Like uh, with faceting, it of course requires you have enough geo, but only just enough geo yeah. um, to prevent faceting because you know rounded edges will definitely make your model look uh, gamey. And you know most people are making their models and they're intending to present it. So having it look that way, you know, is definitely an unintended response. But I mean, even right here. Um, you know, I'm using F2 to just grab a vert and press F to just throw it out. Mm -hmm. And my origin's messed up, so it's like over here to make me angry. <laughs> um, we'll just... Uh, uh, nah, no problem. Structure selected. No problem, no problem. You don't need to retopple the whole robot right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. I'm not going to do the whole thing. But, I mean, you're about to see... You know, I'll bring up the modifier helper, turn on clipping, because that's handy as hell, right? And, uh, you know... Well, uh, five Fs and we're done just with this this piece here. So, you know, in, in the Geo, you see that it's like needing to be a little smooth. So a little edge sliding will go a long ways. Like GG is probably uh, one of the smartest choices a uh, Blender Foundation has ever made as far as changing to modeling, uh, making it where you press G to activate edge slide instead of pressing Control E and going to edge slide. Like when they made that change, I was so blown away. And that's like very minor. That's workflow changing. Yeah. And I, I looked at like it was a new feature. Like F2 is is probably one of the greatest tools also in Blender. Like you'll never see F2 in Maya or Moto or 3ds Max or anywhere else. Like F2, you, you know what I'm talking about too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The yeah, yeah. yeah I, I use it. I use it a lot. And Ice Tools and and this light. I, I really love this light. There is one thing I miss though about this light, and is that um, I I would like another sliding method that actually keeps the shape and not only slides over the edges. Because um, when you're using subdivision surface, sometimes the sliding through the edge, across the edge, uh, you lose the shape, right? Because you're getting it closer to the to the other vertex and it, you get a kind of a corner at some points. And if you're, if you're working on a rounded shape, it's uh, easy to break it up. But, but still, it's really, really cool. I, I loved it too when they 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 got this sliding tool with the GG and also it's, it's very very quick because you can just move it or just press it twice and just light it. It's just great, great decision. Like right here, you see, you know, I got this piece already done. It's already like solidified, clean geo, you know, ready for the world. Um, also, delete these uh, faces in between. And so, you know, this is this is done. But I mean, that's what retopology is to me. It's just going in just real quickly, just rebuilding the form. So, I mean, I've, I think I've just practiced enough with it that I'm just, I, I maybe make it look like uh, less of a deal than it is. But I actually do a lot of retopo on my side, mm -hmm. uh, in case I never explained that to users that are watching this. So much retopo. Um, at first, on hard ops, all the way up to like hard ops version 006, at first we were trying to send these meshes out to Substance Painter and stuff, but we realized that there's like wasted islands, interior faces. It's, it's just garbage geo. It's just easier to do a bake to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I hope that people approach this like a almost like a Dynamesh sculpting for modeling almost. Like this is, this, you could send this stuff out if you wanted, but. I wouldn't send this stuff to my mother because it's like tries and ingons everywhere. Like you use your common sense here. Um, but you know, that, that you remember I was telling you that hard ops was intended to be a bit of a learning experience. Yes. yes. And part of what it, what it's, in, what it's intended to learn, what is intended, what it's intended to learn people, what is intended to teach people is hopefully as you're slicing things and bullying things and correcting things that you see how these problems occur. 
like that's a crazy thing to say, but that is the truth of it is if you're monitoring your hard ops usage enough to see how these things are occurring, like I feel that that alone should help you become a better modeler because you're, you're troubleshooting issues that, that is right. you may not normally come into because you're always modeling safe. But if you're always dealing with doubles and end guns and crazy geo situations, like, I mean, I've, it's almost like second nature to me. Control X is my best friend in the world. <laughs> uh, just as solve don't don't bring up a menu just dissolve it. yes um yeah i, I i'm actually I, i'm actually um i mean I, I agree with you and uh i i think for me one of the best things that happened to me is that one of my first works was actually cleaning models that someone else did and i learned so much cleaning those models i because i i i learned how to spot the problems and how to solve them and that really is a, a deal breaker Yeah, so instead of cleaning up for someone else, which you will hate, you clean up for yourself, which isn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. But I mean, I feel that even I have like picked up so many small little like tidbits. Just like I mean, the whole thing with hotlining, I didn't even know about that really until I started uh, using hard ops. I was like, man, some of these booleans just don't work out. <laughs> like um, people are always asking, "What's it like when you bull a curved surface?" It's exactly like it was last time you bowled a curved surface. Yeah. A goddamn tragedy <laughs> because it's a curved surface. Curved surface, you're gonna need a little bit of care. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so to wrap it up, one last question and uh, we will leave because it's uh, it's been al almost uh, two hours already. Wow, I didn't expect it to be that long, but uh, well, it's, it's great talking to you. So, okay, um, in one of your articles, this is another question from one of my students. Uh, in one of your articles, um, I think it is in your blog, the, the student sent me the link, but I, I don't have it right here, um, that is kind of a biography. You say that, uh, quote, life for me is but a spark, but if I can make a fire within you, then my job is done. Um, so what would you have some advice for people who's trying to get started into Blender or that they are getting started on modeling or hard surface modeling? Uh, what advice could you give that to them? Read the wiki, learn Google Foo, um, connect with friends, make friends, uh, join a group. Best advice, like, uh, you know, um, what else? Also, keep all your renders. Don't don't let all your renders go. Um, there, there was this one time in the call center that someone came up to me and was like, hey, that looks really cool. What is that? I was like, it's Blender. It's like, that's cool. Can I get a copy of it? I erased everything I ever did over the last two years at that moment and gave him a copy of Blender accidentally, wow. deleting all my work. So don't do that. Get a photo bucket or an art station and back it up. You know, just, 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 um, you know, it's all, it's all about having fun, but also, you know, be analytical of your progression because, Um, as you, the further you go without progressing, the more frustrating it'll get. And then I think like, um, you know, I, I, I always feel that there's like this attitude, I think in the community where, uh, like I was telling you, like, uh, people are just self-defeated. So I, I try to tell people things that, that prevents them from getting to that self-defeated state. So, you know, definitely be analytical of your, of your, uh, progressions you know look over your last 20 renders and and think like is this where i'm wanting to go with this you know but you know definitely have fun but 
you know, at, by the time by the time you're three years in or four years in, you're not going to have the patience to watch tutorials anymore. So yeah. educating yourself is going to become harder. So that first time that you're in 3D, like when you first pick it up, that's your most enthusiastic you're going to ever be. After that, you're not going to get more enthusiastic. You get less enthusiastic. So you have to really push it while you have that energy because you have energy you don't know what you had at the beginning. And when it's gone, it's just gone. You're just getting on a computer just like, damn polygons <laughs> damn polygons like you don't want that like you have to set yourself up for success so you know if i would have started over again giving myself some advice it definitely would have been to uh you know connect with people uh pick rivals and you know do projects that you can redo after a period of time you know after you know sometimes after just watching a course dude like go back and remodel your wagon and just see how quick you can do it but a lot of the stuff that I do, like, uh, sometimes I'll just start it over and just see if I could have done it easier. Like, this was good, but this was a ton of work. So you want to analyze how you're working, too. Like, it's really in being analytical, like, uh, not only of people around you, but more importantly, of yourself. Because when that enthusiasm has gone, it's gone. And then that's when people either leave 3D art or stop doing 3D or go get a real job or drop the dream or all that stuff. And like, if you work your way there, if you're three years in at this point now and you haven't improved to the point that you want to, like, it's definitely, you, you want to deal with that immediately or at least, you know, find out why you're not, because there could be just something stopping you. Like uh, sometimes you got to ask yourself if you're just being stubborn. Um, like I always go through and check these other programs. Like, you know, I use every, pro every program under the sun now, uh, because if they're getting a feature that I don't know about, like I'm missing out on something. Like, I mean, I don't pick blender because I love blender. I mean, I do pick blender because I love blender, but I also pick it because it's the best tool for the job. It loads quick. You can open 15 instances of blender. It opens in three seconds. No Autodesk program has that. <laughs> yeah. If you open three miles, if you open three miles, your computer is, is screwed. You can open like 15 blenders. Like I'll have Blender crashing in one window and I'll be reopening it in another <laughs> just to, you know, show a point. So, you know, that flexibility, that's the reason that I stick with Blender. You know, like when at the Blender conference, when Tan was like saying, uh, you know, I don't believe any program should have an installer. <laughs> like I was like, hell hey, yeah, that, that dude, that's grading, exactly right. That was a great impersonation <laughs> of Tone. You, you should, you should. Uh... I, I, I've been practicing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the next time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. That's some great some great advice. Some great advice. Really, uh, uh, people just look at your works and um, get uh, to improve them and save them so that you can look at them in the future and see how much you have improved. Or if you haven't made any improvement, uh, there is definitely something to check out and. Uh, uh, get to work, get back to work. So, Jerry, thank you very much for being with yeah. us. Or, well, well, you you were going to say something? Oh no, 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 no! You're you're closing. I'll let you close. Sorry. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so, Jerry, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, thank you for letting us pick your brain for a while, and uh, see you another time. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Oliver. All right. All right, everybody. So I hope you liked this interview and uh, feel free to send me your comments or suggestions or ideas. Or if you would like me to interview some other guests, just let me know at podcast at blendtoots.com. 
or send me your questions so I can answer them in future episodes. See you soon and happy blending.